listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Let's get at it. Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible today, our ushers have Bibles. They're walking down the aisle. Raise your hand. We would love for everyone to have a copy of God's Word in in their hand because we're, we're going to work through five verses today, and you need to see it to believe it. And, and, and we tell you that week after week, have your Bibles, bring notepads, write down verses, write down the points that we're talking about. Go home, chew on it, marinate on it, allow God's word to, cha- word to take and change and transform you. Just don't come here and, and think this is your show up at the gas station, get fueled up, and you're good for the rest of the week. No, we need to be fueling up every day in the Word of God, Amen. We need to be fueling up in the Word of God every day, amen? amen. Okay, that's a little bit better, okay. And, uh, and, and so 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're working on this series called This Is Us as we look into certain practices and convictions that we have as followers of Christ and that are especially near and dear related to us here at Hope Bible Church. And, and last week we talked about one of our convictions or one of the pillars that we have in our church. You'll see it on one of the banners here, believing firmly in the power of prayer. We went up to the... To the Knox Mountain this past week, and we believe firmly in the power of prayer and asking God to do great and mighty things in our lives, in our church, in this city, in this region, in this nation. And, and, and we have that right and that privilege to call on God in that way. Today we're going to be looking at another one of our core convictions, one of our pillars. You'll see it right over there on the left-hand side. Something we are, uh, j- just don't keep on banners. These are things that we are, are serious about. We preach about them. We remind you of these, these truths often. And, and, and so we don't back away from this. And, and today, th- this is the one we're looking at. Proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. Sometimes this also gets summarized as bold preaching or unapologetic preaching. This verse is connected to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, kind of right in the heart of what we're going to be talking about here today in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul instructs Timothy, he says, preach the word, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with, with complete patience and teaching. Here at Hope, this is up. This is us, what you see on the screen. This is who we desire to be along with these other core convictions that we have. Later, earlier on, we looked at, at, at a conviction of, about believer baptism. And if you have not been yet baptized as a believer and, 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 have, and have chosen to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and haven't been baptized, then you're living in an area of disobedience in your life. And we would encourage you, we'd love to help you with your obedience by seeing you get baptized in September, September the 8th, part of our fall kickoff. If, if, if you are moving towards this and want to know more uh, about this, please just fill out uh, that connection card or talk to myself or to Brett or to uh, send an email into our church office. We would love to talk to you further about that. Another core conviction was that, was that of the Lord's Supper, and we talked about that a number of weeks ago. But here, these are some of the things that, that define us. But when we talk about bold preaching, we're just not talking about angry, mean, red-faced, pulpit-pounding kind of preachers who are just standing up and, and just giving it for all their worth and just making a lot of noise. Yes, yes we, we want to be passionate about the Word of God, but we want to be passionate about what God's Word has to say, not what the preacher has to say, what the Word of God has to say, and there can be oftentimes a difference. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the one who bought and purchased and founded the church through His shed blood. 
He is the one that, the foundation that we build our lives on. And so Jesus Christ has the authority as the head of the church. And so we come, come under his authority, which we find in the word of God. You want to know more about Jesus? You want to know more about God? We find it in the word of God. And, and this book, when we open it for a reason, we love the word of God. This is, we believe it's not just, you know, a good thing to do. It is the best thing that we can do. It, we believe that when we open the word of God, life happens. Life happens as God, God's word is proclaimed. We're not sorry for preaching. We're not sorry for, uh, in, in that we say that we preach unapologetically. We don't apologize for what God's word has to say. Sometimes we can apologize for the delivery of the preacher when we stutter and stammer, uh, stammer when, when we preach. But that's God just using very, very human people to proclaim his word. We believe that in preaching God's word, God is glorified and lives are transformed. The lost are saved and saved people are sanctified to reflect him more and more. And so the big idea that we're talking about here this morning, the big, big truth we want to get across, the big idea, we proclaim Christ. We're being proclaimers. This is us. We want to proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ by proclaiming and living the word of God. It's not one thing just to speak it and to know it. It's another thing to live obediently to God's word. Now, some of you might think, this is kind of, you know, put, the, put those recliners up even a little bit further. Yeah, and this one's going to be a snoozer because this one's for pastors. This one, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's charging Timothy here. And, you know, he, you know, I know a little bit about the Bible. This is for you, Meldon. This is for anyone who thinks that God might be calling them into a, a position of preaching the word of God. And so you might just think this one's not for you. Well, you're dead wrong because this is for you. This is for each one of us because wherever we are, God has placed us in spheres of influence in neighborhoods, in workplaces that I cannot get to. And we are to be proclaimers of God's truth. Wherever we are to whomever we come in contact with, we are to be proclaimers of his love and of his truth. Yes, this is something that is, is definitely needed, though, for pastors today as well in our nation. And, and, and this is a priority. If you are looking for a church, if you haven't settled on this church and you are kind of church shopping, don't like that name, it's so consumeristic, but if you aren't committed to a Bible-believing church that believes in this, you need to be. And this is one of the core convictions that God's word calls us to do and to be as the church and for pastors. This is something that you as the congregation need to be insisting on for this church, that we would be people of the word, we would preach the word that you are insisting on if you are visiting here today from another church, that your pastors, your teachers are teaching and preaching the word of God. It is something to be praying for that we never lose sight of this and we never, uh, never drift in this area. So many churches have drifted from this conviction. And remember, we are all to be proclaimers wherever we go. And so as proclaimers under the authority of God's word, we desire to speak his word, to obey the truth of his word. And so this morning we're going to dig into this passage where we find the theme for this conviction. We're going to look at, at, at the five verses here that starts off 2 Timothy chapter 4. And just to give some context, some understanding here, this is so important when it comes to, comes to preaching the word of God. We need to understand the context of the original author uh, who is 
guided, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit to write this to the original audience to get an understanding of what was going on and then how that applies to our lives here today. And so Paul was writing this to Timothy. Timothy was a dear friend to Paul. He was a understudy, a fellow companion, a pastor. And, and, and so here they were uh, separated though from uh, with some distance and also through chains. You see, Paul was in prison. Timothy was pastoring a church that Paul had started on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts 18 in, in Ephesus. And so now pa- Timothy is left to, to pastor that church. But it is a difficult region. It is a difficult town to pastor in because there was a lot, of, just lots of sexual sin that was even being brought into the life of the, of the religion in that day. And so Paul was concerned for Timothy, but Paul was in prison in Rome under the emperor Nero, had him in chains, and Paul, this is the last letter that he's written, these are his last words, these are some of the final things that he has to say here to Timothy and to us, because he was on death row. And and church history tells us it was either weeks or a few months from him penning these words that he was beheaded because he would not shut up about the gospel, because he would not recant his faith. This is the way that this passage was written, this book was written. And so he's giving his last words. And after 30 years of ministry, bringing it to an end, what's he saying? Is he saying, Timothy, quit. It's not worth it. The people are jerks. The government officials are difficult. The people in the church won't listen to you and they're going to give you a hard time. All they want are stories, stories, stories about the good old days. Or, 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 or another thing, they just want to be entertained. They want to be made to feel good. You're going to be hated, Timothy. They're not going to like you. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to have, be misrepresented. There's going to be things said about you that aren't true. Just pack it in. Quit. Find something else to do. I showed you how to be a tent maker. Go and make tents. Quit. Pack it in. Is that what Paul is saying here at the end? Is that what he's doing? Are you kidding me? He's fired up. He's going out strong. He's going out in a blaze of glory. And when you read with, with, with the understanding and you see it in the original language and you see the way that Paul was writing this, this was not a man who was on death's door who was just kind of just, just creeping in. This guy who was going to go out strong. And he was firing up Timothy and he fires us up here today that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, be people of the word. That we would be proclaimers who would not only proclaim the word of God, but we would live the word of God in our lives. And so oftentimes, that's the difficult part. And from this passage, we see six reasons why Paul was fired up. Six reasons why the apostle Paul calls us and calls us to proclaim the word of God. And so this morning, six reasons we proclaim and live God's word. The first one, because we've been commissioned. We've been commissioned and rewards await us. We've been commissioned to preach the word. Look in verse 1 of first, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Timothy, what I'm having to tell you here, he's, he's, Paul is saying, he said, you have to remember, your ultimate audience is not the people you're preaching to. It's not the people whose home fellowship you're meeting and whose small group that you're leading. That's not who your ultimate audience is. 
It's not the people in your church. It's not even the magistrates in your city. It's not the government officials who may be monitoring your words and, 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 and compiling up a bunch of your actions and deeds to one day use against you. No, your audience, he is saying, is God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. They're here. They're present. They're listening. They're watching. They are in the audience And he says, I charge you. Other translations will say, I solemnly charge you. These words in the original language have a legal nuance to them. It's like Paul is taking Timothy and he's making him swear under oath. He says, I charge you. I want you to swear that you are going to do this, that you are going to be a proclaimer. No matter what happens, you're not going to give in. You're not going to give up. You're going to keep going. And he's telling him in front of the judicial bench, not just of not of human magistrates, but the judicial bench of God the Father and of Jesus Christ the Son, charging him under oath to be a proclaimer of the word of God, to know that one day he will face judgment for what he does and what he proclaims. 2 Corinthians 5.10, you may want to write that down if you just want to have have the, the handle for that so you can find that is where we see God's word is very clear that we will all one day stand before God. There will be those who will stand before God in the great white throne judgment. We see that in the book of Revelation where the people who are lost will stand before God and and they will be judged on the basis of whether or not their name was written in the Lamb's book of life if they had given their hearts to Jesus Christ truly here on this earth. But for all of us as believers, we will stand before God in this judgment here. Sometimes it's called the, judge, uh, the Bema Seat Judgment. This is a, a judgment not for condemnation, but for commendation. This is where we will give an account. I will give account. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will give an account for how you have lived your life here on this earth. Are you living it for yourself? Are you living it for your own gain, for your own name? Or are you living it with your time, your treasure and talents, stewarding it towards God's kingdom? This is what God's word calls us to do. We live selfishly. We will also be judged by God and all of our deeds, all of our actions, the attitudes behind which we do it will all be exposed. This is coming. This is something that we don't have to fear in, in like, ah, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve in this way because, you know, I want to get in good with the big guy. No, we have a love for God that compels us to want to serve and sacrifice and give to him because of what he has done for us. And as a result of that kind of service, we will be, rewar- be rewarded on that day. And so this means we take our lives and our calling and our mission seriously. Yet so easily we drift from this. I mean, some of you probably even got a little alarmed and a little awakened by, oh man, that's serious stuff. There's going to be, there is going to be a judgment one day. We will stand before God. But then we walk out of here today and, oh, what are we going to have for lunch? And you know, and we bask in the glory of, you know, whether you're a Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan like me, that they won again last night, five in a row. I haven't done that for a long. It's looking like a good year. And we get so distracted. We become complacent. We allow the concerns, the pulls, the, the, the lust, the greeds, the, the power of this world to draw us in. And soon we're just off living our own lives. This isn't just for pastors and, and for church leaders. It's for each one of us. But for pastors and church leaders... There's even a greater accountability we see in God's word that we will stand before God. And here's the thing that as a church grows, so do the distractions. So do the demands. So do the opportunities. 
But oftentimes the temptation can also come to soften the word, to water down God's word, to, to, to build a larger audience, to, to, to make God's word a little bit easier to chew. Let's not talk about some of the difficult or the hard passages. Let's, you know, uh, and, and because of detractors today and, 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 and the distractions and the opposition we might face, we just, you know, let, let's preach and, 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 and not really talk about the tough things in the word of God. But preaching and proclaiming God's word is at the core of what God has called us to do, that we are to be proclaimers of his truth. And so we have been commissioned to preach and to proclaim the word of God, knowing that incredible eternal rewards and condemnation from, the, from God himself await. The second reason that we proclaim and live God's word is because it's the only message. Write that down. It's the only message. Look what it goes on to say here, verse 2. He says, after giving him this charge, it's three words, but three powerful words. He says, preach the word. The word preach means in Greek, caruso, which means to herald, to proclaim. This is like the town crier. This is the herolder who would go out in, into the, the city court, into the court of the city, and would go out in on, on street corners and proclaim the message of the king. We are to preach the word, the message of our king. And today, at, at times, we may think that, you know, preaching isn't relevant, and yet this is what God calls for us to do in the church. And, and when he says the preach the word, he means the entire counsel of God. He means the whole, whole of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. Today we're hearing more and more that, you know, the Old Testament is hard and confusing and irrelevant. It's not. It's amazing and beautiful and life-giving. And we see the goodness of our God even through the Old Testament, though some people say God was a hater back then and now God is love. No, God is a, is a God of love from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis right to the book of Revelation. You have others who talk about being a red-letter Christian. I'm just going to follow. We're a red-letter church. We're just going to follow what God's Word uh, says in, in the Bible. You know, the red letters, the words of Jesus. That's the important words. And Paul is saying here, preach from Genesis to Revelation. Preach the entire Word of God, the whole counsel of God's Word. Preach it. He says, preach the word. He says, don't preach self. In preaching the word, he's telling us what not to preach. He's telling us not to preach self-help or felt needs or social issues or politics or the latest movies. We don't simply give motivational pep talks because when the real trials of life hit and the storms come, which they will, Pep talks and emotional feelings and highs will mean nothing. We need the strong stability of the word of God. We need a foundation on which we can stand. And so we don't preach here. We desire not to preach junk food Christianity. You know, junk food, great packaging, great commercials, makes you hungry, 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 and, and, and you know, and it looks so good, that packaging, and and it can be pretty tasty, some of that junk, right? It sure can be. But a full diet of that leaves you unhealthy and is very destructive for your body. Or else maybe, you know, there's Botox Christianity where, you know, we try to make things look really good on the outside by, you know, injecting ourselves with certain things, you know, more appealing by dealing with the peripheral issues. Let's just deal with the outside. Let's make the outside look good. And, 
and the inside is still as rotten to the core. And honestly, a lot of what I've seen when it comes to Botox, this is just a little side commentary, it doesn't even help the outside very much. <laughs> we don't preach man's wisdom. We, we, we don't preach the best-selling author in, in a sermon series, the latest book that's come out. Let's, let's preach through what this author has to say. We want to know what this author has to say. The author, God, what, he, what message he has for us. The authority in preaching doesn't come from the preacher's voice, from emotion, from zeal, from pounding the pulpit. It comes from the authority of the King of Kings. And you see, we believe in the inspiration of Scripture. We believe every word has been inspired by God. Turn just one page over, possibly, or it may even be on the same page, depending what Bible you have, in 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says there in 2 Timothy 3.16, and if you have a pen, I encourage you to underline, under word, underline the word all. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Remember, every Every sentence, every word is put there by God, and that word all, in, in, in saying all, he means what? All, yeah. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He says it's been breathed out by God. And we believe that this book is alive. It is the living word of God. Hebrews 4 verse 12, the words are on the screen. Write down this reference and go home and you can study this yourself and read it again. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. We believe that there is power in the word of God because it is alive. That's why you can be sitting here on a Sunday and you start thinking, Did my family member rat me out to the pastor this week? Did he send a text or a little email? And, you know, and, and, and there's so many Sundays I walk around and say, how did you know this is what we were facing and going through? And, and, and I tell him, oh, we, we have Alexia uh, listening in on your house and it comes to, you know, or no, we don't. This is the beautiful living word of God. That one message comes out of my mouth and, and God uses it to speak to the dozens and, and 100, 150, 180, 200 people that show up here on a Sunday morning. Different messages that he has from his word touching and speaking to you in a different area of your life, in your thinking, in your circumstance. This is the beauty of the living word. It's like, how did he know? God knows. It's a book that's alive. And this is why we contend for expository preaching. This is where the message and the meaning is dug out. We want to know it is dug out from how God originally meant it to the original audience. And then we want to take and see how that applies those truths then apply to our lives today through careful study. Not through just springboard preaching where we just bounce around and get, find support verses to say what we want to get across to the congregation? Through careful study, we find the meaning of the original author, what, what, what God put in, in, the, in the heart of that person writing the word of God, influenced under the Holy Spirit's power. That's where the power is. And sometimes people will say, you can't grow and build a church today by preaching and proclaiming God's word. There was a pastor 30 years ago 
start of the seeker movement that we saw spread across North America and other parts of the world. He was down in California and he stated, expository preaching is dead. People won't put up with it. They won't listen to it. We've got to make it more appealing. We've got to tell more stories. We've got to think more positively and just talk about God's love. And, and he built a large church on that premise and a large following of people throughout North America. He built a fantastically huge facility, was on TV stations. I remember as a kid watching him some Sundays when I'd be home from, from, from church and I would watch this amazing looking building saying there must be something good going on there. It was all built out of glass. It was amazing, this structure. That building was put up and sold. It went bankrupt and was sold to the Catholics because God's word stands forever. And expository preaching isn't dead. It is what we are to uphold. It is what we are to look for. This is what we allow God to use in our lives to, to speak to us. And so there's a beauty in the word of God in this way. We can't grow a church. We can't make disciples any other way. We have to do it according to the word of God. It won't happen any other way. There's power in God's word. And when God's word is proclaimed, this is the amazing thing. This is the beautiful thing about God's word. When God's word is proclaimed, the greatest skeptic, the coldest soul, the greatest sinner, the person furthest from God can walk through doors like these that we have outside the theater here on a morning like today. And when God's word is preached, when God's word is opened, the heart is crushed. The spiritually dead can be made alive. The spiritually blind can receive sight. The cold, the dead heart can be softened and made alive. And a person can walk out of here redeemed, forgiven, saved, on their way to heaven. And it happens through, thus saith the Lord. Not thus saith Melden, thus saith the Lord. And so we open the book, we preach the word of God. We read it, we receive it, and we desire to obey it and follow it in our lives. And we want to see that not just on Sunday mornings, but we want to see it in our group time, in our small groups, in our personal times of study, study that we have. The word of life gives life to all who have open hearts, who desire to follow him. The third reason we proclaim God's word is because it's not always going to be popular. Look what it says in verse 2. I'm going to work through verse 2. Take us a few moments here. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Now, some of you here this morning um, have already commented, and I would love to know some of your thoughts, or maybe I wouldn't want to know your thoughts about my lovely shirt today. Uh, some of you have noticed it. Some of you are like, oh, oh yeah, it is pretty ugly, pretty, pretty interesting, and, and uh, and, and I know some of you were thinking, I mean, you were probably thinking, hey, Melden, the 1990s called and they want their shirt back, you know, or the French have called, they want their flag back, you know, or, um, hey, don't give me a hard time. This is a 25-year-old vintage shirt. It was used as uh, part of my outfit that I wore for our going away on our honeymoon 25 years ago. Okay? There we go. And some of you are saying, we wish it went away, you know? <laughs> My kids got kind of a double look this morning when they saw, like, you wore that, you know? And um, 
I have some other beauties. You see, you see, it may no longer be in fashion, but I'm hoping one day it might be. And so then I've got an amazing wardrobe when it does, right? And so I'm holding on a few other beauties. Look at this. This was just when I started in ministry. Look at that sweater, hey? I paid, like I was really, I paid, I was, I paid $110 for this. Like 30 years, like I, that's why I'm holding on to this baby. Like it's, it's coming back and you're going to see it one day and you're going to like, you, hipster pastor, you know, like I may be 80, but it's going to happen, or, or my Joseph shirt, I mean, this thing again, like this is just a gorgeous collection that, you know, I just really appreciate, it. and I had to finally stop wearing it because I got a stain, yeah, got, got an ink stain or something on it, and it was, yeah, that's, re there's a reason why I had to stop, otherwise I still might even wear it, I just loved it so much, you know, but, you know, I mean, things come and go, and, and clothing, you know, in season, out of season, and, and what Paul is saying here, though, when it comes to preaching, the Word of God, you preach it when it's in fashion and when it's out of fashion. When it's popular and it's unpopular, you preach the Word. Paul's preaching landed him in prison. It cost him, in the end, his life. And now he's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring this church in Ephesus, a church influenced by false teaching, a church that was starting to drift. People were walking away from the faith, or people were just allowing the world to influence them in some great ways. We see in chapter 3, go home and read it this, this next week because he even is, Paul is concerned about the false teachers that are, are, are infiltrating the church, softening the word. He, he gives, I think it's like 19 different characteristics of a false teacher. can identify false teachers today through that standard as well. There were those that were promoting a cheap or a greasy grace Go and sin, do whatever you want, you'll be forgiven. God's a God of love, God's a God of grace. Or there was also those who were making rules and regulations and they were, you know, we're fundamentalists, but we're not going to have any fun and, and just going to be very serious about following God's word, just rules and regulations and that's how you are holy. And here, what is Paul's answer to these false teaching at the very end of chapter three? It's the word of God. It's a great statement we have that we already read about the word of God. And so he warns them about false teachers. And he says, stick to the scriptures in 2 Timothy 3.16. Why? Because it's the scriptures in verse 15 that make us wise towards salvation. And we're coming into a day, and these days are here in North America, and especially in Canada, we're seeing that more and more, we're seeing that people do not want to adhere to the whole counsel of God's word. And here at Hope Bible Church, in many ways, we are in the minority when it comes to how we see God's word and how we desire to preach God's word and how we desire to make disciples. Our preaching and our convictions are becoming more and more unfashionable and out of season. But our calling is to be faithful to the word of God, not looking for building a crowd but nor are we looking just to preach the word to start a fight. Our call is to be faithful to God's word. And our response to this is to prepare you, to prepare the church for action because where we see things going more and more and more and more in counseling these days, um, even when it comes to preaching the word of God, we need to be more intentional when it comes to God's word and our making of disciples. And we're taking that seriously here at this church. From our, from our preaching to our teaching to our discipleship, 
There's a statement about that in our e-news. I trust that you read it this week or else you'll go home and you'll do it. And if you're not getting signed up on the e-news, that you'll get signed up. There's a statement in there about us just taking a little step back here as we come into the five-year mark as our church. Even as a church, we can lose focus or we can drift or we can just, you know, kind of just like keep on. Same old, same old. It's been working for the last number of years. No, we don't want to be satisfied with status quo. We want to be more and more intentional as we see the day approaching, as we see what's going on. We need to be more intentional in making disciples. I love what Brett is doing here, just coming on staff here, uh, moving here from Ontario, and, and even already working just with some of our worship team members and, 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 and desiring that, hey, it's not about performing up here on a Sunday morning or at a worship night. It's more about discipleship. We want to care more about your growth in Christ, your obedience to Christ, obedience to the Word, than if you can sing or keep a beat or play well or, or mesh well with other musicians. And so Brett's been having some of these discussions and, and, and we want to see where from our worship leading right down to the nursery and hope kids that it's about more and more intentional in our discipleship making. Had a discussion with some of our hope kids leaders this past week about just even deepening the intentionality of God's word in our programming. At Hope Kids, it's just not Sunday morning babysitting so parents can have a break from their kids. No, from nursery all the way up and then into this room to see prayer and worship and the word emphasized, yes, even in the nursery. Because it's not always what is being taught, it's, being, it's what's being caught. And as worship songs are played and even kids get up and dance and move around and enjoy the music, and then as God's word is open, as a Bible story is shared, even the youngest mind, that makes an impression, that can make a difference. And in a world kids need to, world that is, is going the way that it is, our kids need to know that there is a foundation in their lives. And it's the word of God. It is Jesus Christ. And would they love him and come to know him and to worship him and to live for him. And so we proclaim God's word because it's not always going to be popular. The fourth reason is that we proclaim God's word because it reveals where we are out of step with God's truth. This is important. When we read God's word, when we have it proclaimed, when we're in a study together with others, it starts to reveal what's going on. And there's three important elements when it comes to especially preaching the word of God. We see here, continue in verse two, it says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There are three important elements to, to preach and should be found in every sermon. That when you walk out of church on a Sunday or you turn off a podcast or a DVD of a sermon you're listening, uh, listening to or you're leaving a, a group study uh, that, you've have, that, that you've been a part of, I trust that these three things will take place and each one is going to be shared here with um, a little object lesson to hopefully remind you of. What's the first word you see there? Reprove. Reprove, and, and the object we use for this is, is a light bulb. That as we study the word of God, as God's word is proclaimed to us, the word reprove means a kindly attempt to correct a fault. In the proclamation of the word of God, it is to illuminate, to inform, to give us insight, to give us understanding. The light bulb comes on, and we're like, oh, I didn't know God's word said that. Okay, that's good. I'm going to have to make some changes or some adjustments. Or it's a light bulb and it's like, oh, that's why that's happening. Okay, that makes sense. It's not the preacher's manipulation, but the word of God that sheds light and points out to what needs to be changed in our lives. And so reprove is really important. 
What's the next word? Hmm? Rebuke. One for this are some nice boxing gloves. Yeah, I know, awesome color, Rough Riders, totally, right? That's what they pounded out the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks yesterday with, you know. And, and so when it comes to preaching the Word of God, there's got to be some rebuke in there. And rebuke doesn't mean punching in the face, but it is a blow, a blow to the heart. It, it, it's a more firm, uh, now I have to change my, uh, switch pages here. You know, it, it, it's, it's taking and it's showing, it's revealing certain behavior in our lives, false thinking, false teaching, areas of sin. And it's, it's a hard word. This is sin. This is wrong. We need to do something. We need to repent. You see, hard words can produce soft hearts that ends up in changed lives. But never are we to leave people feeling like they've been punched and suckered punched and put on the floor and just, you know, done with you kind of thing. Look at the last one. The last one there is the word exhort. And this means to stir up another, to give comfort, to give counsel, to give encouragement. And I have for this a nice Afghan blanket. You might say, ooh, that's quite the color. My mom made this for me when I was a kid. And I just ransomed it back in a recent trip from Saskatchewan. And, and, and uh, it was around in our living room yesterday. It got a little cool in the evening. We were outside on the deck visiting with some family that's visiting. And, and, and I noticed my daughter took and she grabbed this and she had this uh, wrapped around her out on the deck because it brought warmth, it brought comfort. So God's word, after it's enlightened and has given us strong words of reproof, then there's the words of rebuke that are even stronger, but then there's the exhortation, the calling and the challenge, the putting the arm around him and say, come on, let's walk together. Let's walk together to, to follow Christ. Let's learn together. Let's forgive together. Let's love together. Let's figure this out together. There's a comfort that comes from the word of God. Challenging people. Give your hearts to Christ. Yeah, we could talk about hell. We could talk about God's wrath. We could talk about how we're all. But then we also have to bring in the truth of God's saving grace and his mercy. And it's for you today. It's the call. It's the challenge to be holy towards Christ-like living. And look, it goes on to say with complete patience and teaching. Paul is reminding us that it's going to take time. I had a friend visiting a number of months ago from out of town and and, and after he was here on a Sunday, he said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, ministry and that. And he says, I don't think I could ever be a pastor and, and, and I don't think I could ever be in ministry. He said, I would find it so frustrating for you to stand up and teach or to preach and, and get no response. Or people continue to kind of live the way that they're living and, you know, and, and with no change. And don't you get frustrated when you preach your heart out and it just seems like nothing happens? And over the years of ministry, I've learned one thing that my goal is not to get results. My goal, my calling is to be faithful, to faithfully share the word of God, to proclaim it. And you have to let the word of God do the work in the lives of people. And so oftentimes, some of you do this. You want to take and you want to hit people over really hard with the word of God. You want to put on the boxing gloves and punch them out. Well, do so in love in love, and with what great patience. And then what does he go on to say? And teaching. 
meaning that we also just don't say it, but we show them. There, there's a teaching element. It's, it, it's, it's about formal situations like this where God's word is proclaimed, but informal teaching that happens in mentoring and old mentoring the young and in, in, in group time and in, in worship team time, the discipleship that happens there. There's, there's a teaching element that happens to our lives, and so we are encouraged and strengthened that way. Fifth reason why we proclaim God's word is because false teachers are leading people astray. For a time is coming, this is in verse 3 and 4, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Not only am I wearing kind of an ugly shirt this morning for some of you, I also have another confession, uh, that sometimes after I uh, take a shower, um, I get this little itch kind of thing in my ear, and I just get so compelled to take a Q-tip and to clean out my ear. And I know medical professionals say, don't you do that, you shouldn't be doing that, you just you know, use hot water flushes or whatever, but isn't there something amazing about taking that Q-tip and turning it and just like, oh, it feels so good! You know, any of you relate to that or just to, okay, a few of you are honest in church, the rest of you probably are liars, you know, and uh, no, I don't want to call you a liar, but if the shoe fits, um, you know, and, and it just like, oh, it just feels so good. And, you know, uh, other times, you know, you don't have a Q-tip and, you know, you just use it and the finger just isn't quite the same. Like there's something awesome about that. In, in the spring and, and early summer, I also have allergies and, and hay fever, especially when I drive past that one field on Ben Volen when they're out haying, it's just like, oh, my eyes just get super itchy and I just start going like this and, oh, it feels so good. I just want to like stick my finger right into, through my eyeballs and, and it just like, oh, it feels so good, and I know I shouldn't do it, and, and it's just like, get my pill, get my pill, you know, and I'm just rubbing the living deal. I, a couple years ago, I caused both eyes to go bloodshot because I was just rubbing it, and it felt so good, and I knew I shouldn't be doing it, but oh, it felt so good. And I went to the doctor because Charlotte thought I was pink. I was like, no, they're just bloodshot. I'm like, were you rubbing them? I'm like, oh, yeah, I was rubbing them. Because <laughs> it itches, right? And so when something itches, we want to address it. Well, you know what? Sadly, our souls, our spirit, like who we are, we itch for the easy life. We itch for the here and the now. And these itches come to us and we just want to scratch them. And Paul is saying, the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will have itching ears. And with that itching ears, they'll scratch them. They'll find the Q-tips. They'll find the, you know, they'll scratch their eyeballs out if they have to just accumulate. Ah! I found someone who says what I, you know, can, can allow me to live the way that I want to live. And saying, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is such a dangerous thing and we're seeing this over and over again. Paul is saying a time is coming and folks, I believe that day is here. Where people will not endure sound doctrine. They have the itchy ears. You want to hear what you want to hear rather than the truth of what God's word has to say. And here are some ways we do this. We allow our feelings, our emotions, our experience to drive our belief. And here's the statement that often gets said. It's one of the oldest statements you'll see in, in human history. I know God's word says this, but... I mean, Adam and Eve in the garden. I know God's word says we're not supposed to eat from that tree, but... Did God really say that? 
And so we allow our feelings, our emotions, or our hunger to drive our belief or our actions. Or we rationalize, you know, the yeah buts. The yeah buts. Yeah, but, you know, there's this or there's that. Or we, eval- or we elevate the opinions of others over truth. You know what? You can Google and you can find a pastor, a teacher, an author who will support your view and your lifestyle. The problem is they're going to be hopscotching um, scriptures from all over the place just to try to make it all fit into a nice little package for you. You'll take God's word out of context, but you can. And dangerously, what's happening with this, people start wandering off into myths and movements that preach a different gospel, whether it be a prosperity gospel, a health, wealth, the signs, wonders, contemplative prayer, receiving new revelations from God, opening up mm, your mind and getting some new revelation that ends up trumping scripture. I mean, you wouldn't say that directly, but it does practically in your life. And this is danger, danger, danger written all over it. Where we allow experience and emotion to trump the truth of God's word. You see, the written word reveals the living word, who is Jesus. And and the primary way that we experience the living word is through the written word. And it's my prayer and it's my longing that for each one of us and for us as a church, we would hunger more and more for the word of God. That we would find life daily in the written word, like Ezekiel, who wrote, he says, I took the words took the word of God and I ate it. Now, I don't know if he literally ate it or if he did, that would be tough chewing. But the word of God, he was just saying, it's so sweet. It's so sweet. I just want to eat it. It's so good. It's so healthy. It's so proper for me. And the sixth reason why we proclaim God's word is because the gospel is how sinners are saved and the saved are sanctified. As we proclaim God's word, And he says in verse 5, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Paul is telling him in these final words that he's giving, he's saying, stay the course. Stay the course. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be suffering. You're going to be slandered. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be ridiculed. People will call you old-fashioned. They'll call you a fundamentalist. They'll call you all kinds of things. But we are to be faithful in God's service. We are to be faithful in God's word Fulfilling your ministry. He's saying fulfill your ministry. So what's your ministry? What are you doing for God? Here or in some other Christian ministry? It says fulfill your ministry. Endure sufferings. Be sober-minded. All of this. Fulfill your ministry. Or our lives just revolving around our own little circle, me, myself, and I, and my family, and my wants, my interests, my needs, or are we actually seeing our lives being on mission, living for God faithfully? We are all to be serving in some capacity for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's a privilege. It's not because we have to, it's because we want to. Again, if, if, we don't, if we're not fired up to serve God, worship, and, and get to know Him in a greater way through His Word, and as we worship Him and we understand what He's done for us, we're compelled, we want to give to Him, we want to give our time, our efforts, our talents to God in that way. But He says in there, do the work of the evangelist. You say, you know, some people have the gift of evangelism. I mean, they can just share the gospel with someone just so easily and so quickly. When I went to Bible school and then even grow, uh, growing up past then, there was a guy on staff at the, at the college and then went into ministry and still is pastoring today. And his nickname was One-A-Day Ray. 
And, and this guy just had an ability to be able to share the word of God, and it seemed like every day he was leading someone to the Lord, and sometimes it would be multiple people that he would uh, share the gospel with. Just had the gift of evangelism. Well, say, well, I don't have the gift. Well, it says you don't have to have the gift. It says we're supposed to do the work of the evangelist, which is share Christ with others. We need to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would be ready at any time, at any place, to share what the life-changing message that God loves you so much. No matter what you have done, no matter what has happened in your life, he loves you so much that he gave his son, sent his son to earth. Remember what happened at Christmas? Well, we celebrate that, but that was Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to earth, lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years, lived a perfect life, and, and, and raised the dead and healed the sick and showed us the way of, of love here on this earth, but showed the ultimate example of love when he died on the cross for our sins, even though he did nothing wrong, he paid the penalty that our sins deserve, and because because of that, Jesus poured down what was deserving on, on us, now on Jesus, and as we trust Jesus by faith in what he has done for us, and we say, I trust, I repent, I turn my life over to you, I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior, as, as I make this determination in my heart to follow him, he comes into my life through his Holy Spirit, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I receive his forgiveness, I stand before God justified, and I become his child. He gives me power and victory in this life, and one day, he brings me into a great family of believers here on this earth, but one day to spend eternity with him, this is the gospel, and we need to be ready to share it at any time. And we are to proclaim the word of God. Whether it becomes more and more difficult in our culture, and our culture becomes more and more deaf to the truth, we don't need a new strategy. strategy, we need the Word of God. This is where our hope is found, folks, in the Word of God. The Word of God, rightly proclaimed, will accomplish all that it is meant to accomplish, to produce life and hope for each one here, everyone who is out on the streets doing whatever they're doing today, out at the beaches today, the Word of God will bring hope. It will produce life and hope for the heart that is broken and confused. It will bring hope and help to the marriage that is in shambles for the person who does not see hope in their future and has even thought about committing suicide because they just figure, why should I live? There's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope in his word. There's hope in the people of Christ to walk with you, to help you, to love you. There's hope and there's victory over every addiction. For every sin, there is forgiveness. God's word speaks truth and clarity over the greatest confusions that, are, that may go through our mind or that we see in society. We see all of this um, confusion over gender and sexual identity and confusion these days. God's word points us to clarity in how he has made us and what a relationship and, and it is to truly consist of. There are answers in God's word that answers science. Did you read this, this past week of the professor from Yale, a very well-known professor who has come out publicly and has renounced Darwinism? And, and he just says, we've been trying to prove it and we can't, it just makes no sense. And, and now he's not a believer yet, but he says um, intelligent design, which is creation, is a serious option. And God's word says, I told you so, I told you so. Hope and life are found in the word of God. Let's pray.